This has been such a, a, a good series. I want to say fun. It's been fun, but it's also been challenging. And I hope you felt that. I had several conversations with folks out in the hall before the service um, that have said those things. They've enjoyed digging into these stories in the Old Testament and being encouraged by, by Daniel's life. So we're going we're gonna to keep doing that one more Sunday, one more morning, this, this morning. We've said it so many times, and we'll, we'll say it again. Uh, we are broken people that live in a broken world. We're broken people that live in a broken world. That's not a great combination, I know. But it's who we are, and it's where we live. Life can be hard. Life can be challenging. Life can be overwhelming at times. And I know many of you, so many of you have experienced that. But it's not the end of the story. We believe that in spite of the brokenness within us and around us, that we can thrive. We don't need to live in despair. And as followers of Jesus, we can and we should thrive. But we need help. We do. We need some strategies to help us to thrive. So we've looked at some of those strategies over these weeks as we've looked at the story of Daniel in the Old Testament. And what an amazing story it is. story of a young man who experienced some of the very worst that the world could throw at him. And his people, God's own people, because of their brokenness and their selfishness and their sinfulness, they were overwhelmed and overcome by a foreign power, by the Babylonians, and they were enslaved, just as God promised they would be if they wouldn't be obedient to him. And so there's Daniel, this, this bright young man, and he is hauled off to Babylon hundreds of miles away, along with the best and the brightest of his people. Everything that Daniel had, had been a part of in his life, everything he'd been belonged to, that he had longed for, that he had dreamed of, all of that was broken. He lost his home, he lost his family, he lost his friends, and he was forced to leave his homeland And he was marched off into exile. And there he lived for another 70 years. Any dreams that he had for the future were gone. All of them. Broken. But somehow, as we've been learning, Daniel didn't despair. Somehow, some way, despite these overwhelming odds that were against him, He thrived as a hostage in a strange land where he was forced to live and work among people whose values and morals were not his own. He was able to thrive. And how did he do that? Dave was here last week. And he taught how at the core of Daniel's ability to thrive was his ultimate surrender to the living God. Daniel trusted God. He stayed surrendered even when he watched all of his dreams die. Daniel knew deep down inside in his heart that God was in charge of who was in charge. And that's a great lesson for us today, isn't it? Right now. Today. Daniel's deep surrender to God allowed, allowed him the perspective to trust 
God with his very life. Week before that, Ed talked about how Daniel's fear of God produced within him wisdom. And it gave him that ability to know when to compromise, but then also to know when to stand firm on the truth, even in the face of severe persecution. And then Alice taught about how Daniel's obedience to God was not limited to his circumstances. And he did this by living in, in God-honoring humility. He demonstrated humility by respecting others, by serving others, and by doing good to and for them. And he even, he even treated his captors with love and respect. He didn't treat them as enemies. And then Jeff, at the very beginning, he taught how Daniel, as a prisoner, remained faithful to God. His faithfulness in the midst of severe testing and trials shows us what real faith looks like and how practicing real faith helps us to thrive in a broken world. So there's the rundown. Last four weeks. You missed any of these? Jump online on our website. You can watch all of these. I encourage you to do that. So we got one week left. What are we going to talk about? Well, we are going to think about one last practice that helped Daniel to thrive. Excuse me, to to thrive, to thrive. (laughs) And it's a practice of hope, hope. But before we think about hope, what it is, I want to just say a couple of things about what hope is not. First of all, hope isn't wishful thinking. Sent an email to someone several uh, several days ago that had participated in the journey with me um, last year. And I remembered that she was going to be taking her physical therapy board exam uh, the next morning. So I was, I, I was ready to type, uh, I hope you do well and pass your boards. But then I had to stop you know, because of all the thinking I've been doing, getting ready for this, for this series, for this teaching. And I had to stop and I had to think, now is, is that actually what hope is? Is that what it's all about? Because hope isn't wishful thinking. I hope you have a great vacation. I hope your test results come back okay. I hope it rains. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope it doesn't flood. And hope isn't just uh, positive thinking either. Don't give up hope. You can do it. You can win. You can beat it. You'll be okay. I hope. But what if the test results come back positive? What if I don't pass the exam? What if the divorce papers get filed? What if we lose? What if it does rain? A lot. What then? No amount of wishful, positive thinking is going to help you to thrive. Biblical hope is different. It's not a wishy-washy maybe or a kind of a, an unsure optimism. In the Bible, hope is active. It's dynamic. It's, it's life-sustaining. You pick up your Bible. Look up the word hope. You are going to find reference after reference pointing out the active results of hope in the lives of people who truly had biblical hope and they lived accordingly. 
Biblical hope means that in the end, we build our lives on the truth that God is in control both now and forever. And we can trust Him. And because of that, we can live confidently. We can live secure in knowing that He stands in our corner when we are hurting and when we're afraid and when we don't know what's going to happen. He stands in our corner. He will come through for us regardless of our circumstances. Hope is not an escape from reality or from problems. It doesn't leave us idle or, or, or just drifting or sitting on the porch, just rocking away. If our hope is biblical, if it's based on God's promises, it will put us in gear. And that's the kind of hope that Daniel had. It affected how he saw himself, what he valued, how he behaved. It gave him peace and joy and courage and boldness and, and strength and endurance and confidence. Even when he was left alone in a den full of hungry lions. Remember that story? Oh, I, uh, I can still see the picture of Daniel in the lion's den in my grandmother's children's Bible storybook that she used to read to us after Sunday lunches. It, it looked something, something like this. And that's kind of a scary story for a little guy. That's what I remembered. The, the lions looked so hungry and, uh, and there were bones scattered around the floor. I mean, who draws that for a children's Bible story book? You know, bones scattered around. The only thing I don't remember though is, is, um, Daniel having a mullet. So let's look at Daniel chapter six. Verse three, four, five. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Daniel served in Babylon with such dignity, integrity, and humility that even though these jealous people were trying to take him down, they couldn't. Thought about the New Testament, uh, one of the letters that Paul wrote to one of the very early churches. And he was writing about how his readers should live in a broken world. And this is what he said in Philippians. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And that was Daniel. His light was bright. And these jealous cowards, they went ahead and they set a trap for Daniel to see if he would cave in 
And instead of worshiping his God, that he instead would, as the law would require, that he would worship the king as God. And I think that they knew, based on Daniel's history, that he wasn't going to worship the king. Daniel was willing to risk the punishment, which was to be thrown into a lion's den, to be eaten by hungry lions. So they set Daniel up. They set him up for failure. They set him up for punishment. And how in the world, if you're Daniel, do you not lose hope in a situation like that? So here's how Daniel responded. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree, this decree about who you're supposed to worship the king and no one, nobody else, that this decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God. Just as he had done before. Did you hear that? Even when this decree came out, and Daniel knew what was at stake. I mean, very clearly, he knew what was at stake. He goes home and he prays. Not to the king, but to his God. Nothing's changed. He did it yesterday. He did it the day before. And he did it that day. And maybe this is where he found hope. God had come through for him in the past. God had come through for his friends in the past. And Daniel's top priority above anything else was to stay true to his God. And his practices of faith, those, those things that connected him with his father, like, like his daily practice of prayer. And prayer, did you notice this prayer for Daniel wasn't asking. Prayer for Daniel was thanking. It was expressing his gratitude to God. So he does this, this practice, even when he's in exile. And I've got to think that that kept hope alive in him. And this is crazy, but, but it appears in the story as if the king is on Daniel's side. The men trying to bring Daniel down, they come to the king and they inform the king. and say, hey, Daniel's up in his room praying, not to you, but he's praying to his God. And... This is what the king said. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. And he was determined to rescue Daniel. And he made every effort until sundown to save him. So amazing. Why would the king do this? The king is the one who's responsible for Daniel's enslavement. And now he's acting as Daniel's advocate. What's going on here? Why would the king be trying to save Daniel? But the men, they, they keep pushing him. They keep pushing the king. Even when the king had to obey his own decree that he was tricked into writing, he still wanted Daniel to live. So listen to what the king says as Daniel is being thrown into the lion's den. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And then the king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually, rescue you! Exclamation point. This was important to the king, for Daniel to hear him say this. So the king himself reminds Daniel of God's faithfulness. And I think this is a huge clue, a big clue, as to why the king was trying to save Daniel. And it tells us something really important about what hope is about and how it works. 
Hope has a positive impact on the lives of others. Other people notice it. They desire it. They're attracted to it. Hope is something people seek out. And listen to this. It is so important for all of us that we have people in our lives that will speak hope to us. That will remind us. These people will remind us of God's faithfulness in the past. And who encourage us to remember God's faithfulness today. Even in our darkest days. And it's equally important that we do this for others. When we see people who are facing their own den of lions. I saw this over the last couple of weeks. I saw this as friends gathered around Jane Eilderts as Al was first in the hospital. As he struggled with his very life for a week, these friends surrounded Jane and the girls and they, they prayed for them and they loved them and they sat with them and they comforted them and they cared for them and they spoke hope to them. And when Al died, they continued to do the same. Continue to speak hope to them. And they continue to do that today. So important. So who, who do you need to speak hope to today? Please, take the time to do it. It matters so much. It may even be the difference between life and death. For someone. In the Old Testament book of Lamentations, the writer is facing his own lion's den of incredible suffering. And, and he's reminded of God's faithfulness. And he finds hope. And this is what he writes. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him. So Daniel's thrown into the lion's den to be eaten alive. And if that isn't hopeless enough, a stone is, is placed over the entrance to the den and, and it's sealed, it says, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. I mean, that's bad. That's, that is hopeless. And honestly, isn't, isn't that just how it feels when you find yourself in your own lion's den? Like a, like a literal stone is just rolled up over top of your only exit and there's no way out. No one can help you. You're all alone. And you just might as well give up. Have you ever felt that way? Ever? 
We felt a small measure of that a few Sundays back when we stood on a bluff across the Cedar River from our house. And through binoculars, we could see that the ground floor was completely submerged and and we couldn't tell, but we just assumed that water was in, in the upstairs where we lived as well. Stairs were torn off and washed away going up to the decks and, and I couldn't see for sure, but I, it looked as though one of the decks had been ripped off the side of the house. And, and at that moment, as I stood there, I wondered if I would ever get the opportunity to live in that house again. I know, it's just a house, but it was also our home. And we found so much joy living there. And we loved our neighborhood. And it was a terribly helpless, hopeless feeling. And we felt it recently when when the decision was made to bring hospice in to begin caring for my mother-in-law. Anne's body is failing her. Uh, Dementia is taking more of a hold on her mind. Um, She can't feed herself. She doesn't have an appetite anymore. It was such a helpless, hopeless feeling for us, for Deb's family, when we understood that 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 was the best option for Anne. Can you relate to that kind of hopeless feeling? And I know some of you are there right now. But we know how Daniel's story ends, don't we? Daniel risked his life by being obedient to God. He accepted the punishment given him. He walked into the lion's den. And God saved him. God shut the mouths of the lions. And the king found him alive the next morning. And if you're like me, and you've heard this story thousands of times, uh, we can be at risk of treating this a little bit like a fairy tale. It just seems too simplistic, too childish. You know, we remember the figures on the flannel board in Sunday school getting moved around. and So I... If you're like me, I I want to encourage you to do your best to put some of that cynicism aside. And I want you to hear what the story says to us. Because this is a story of biblical hope. And this is the hope that can be ours. It can be ours right now. No matter what we're facing. This is our ultimate hope, whether here on earth or for eternity. This is our ultimate hope when we find ourselves in our own den of lions. God will save us. God can do miracles. God can heal marriages. God can bring wellness to bodies. God can help us dig out of financial ruin. God can break addictions. God can redeem black sheep. God can bring broken families back together again. God can allow the floodwaters to recede and give you the strength to rebuild. God can rescue us 
from the darkest of places. Daniel found hope. So how did he do it? As we went through the story, I noticed three things. Number one, Daniel stayed connected to God. Remember that? He practiced his faith, his prayers. Three times a day, he gets down on his knees and he gives thanks to God. And as we looked at these other stories from Daniel's life, there have been other practices, spiritual practices that have been a part of his life. It was how he treated others. It was his generosity, his obedience to God's law, his moral fiber. It was even what he ate. Through these practices, he stayed connected with God. And then the second thing, Daniel was reminded of God's faithfulness through others. Remember what the king said to him? May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. The king reminded Daniel that the God to whom Daniel was faithful would in turn be faithful to him. And he was. And I love what the king did after Daniel was rescued. He wrote a new decree. And it said this, verse 21. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. He rescues and he saves. God is faithful. And then the third thing, Daniel trusted God to save him whether in this life or in the next. Daniel's life rested in God's hands. He trusted that God would take care of him. How, when, and in what way was up to God. And that was enough for Daniel. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't anxious. He knew that God was in control. There's this incredible moment in the Old Testament story of Job. Job's lost everything. He's lost everyone that he's cared about and he's cared for. And and no one would have blamed him if he would have cursed God because of the brokenness that he had experienced. Instead, he says these words. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. That's biblical hope. A few weekends ago, after the floodwaters had receded enough for us to get back in our home, the reality of the, the, the cleanup set in, and it was more than intimidating, um, a bit more than we could handle. But then friends showed up. Sand and mud got washed away, um, wet stuff got pulled down and picked up and piled up, and stuff got fixed uh, Furniture got put back into place. The Red Cross, Salvation Army, they brought us food and supplies. And it was wonderful how God showed up through the kindness and the generosity of so many people. And we were also able to check in with our neighbors again. Now, we're um, kind of a strange group that live out there on Cottage Row, north of town. We know we live on the floodplain. We know it's going to flood again. But the rest of the weeks of the year um, somehow make it worth it. And either you get that or you don't. And that's okay. So we were able to remind each other of why 
we live there, why it's important to us, and that there will be good days ahead again. And Deb and I drew so much hope from our friends and our neighbors, from their kindness, from their love, from their encouragement, because in them we felt God's love. And we knew that no matter what, we were going to be okay. And we had hope. Hope is so important. It's so critical for our ability to thrive in a broken world. Before I pray, I want to share with you three passages from the Bible that speak of hope. And these are God's words to you. His truth to give you hope in whatever brokenness you are facing today or that you may face tomorrow. Isaiah 40. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Psalm 147. The Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in His unfailing love. And then Romans 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or, or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, what a powerful promise and witness to us of your presence in our lives and in this world that you never, never leave us alone. And that we can live with hope even in the midst of brokenness. 
even in the midst of tremendous trial and hardship where we do not know what the outcome is but yet it, regardless of what that outcome is we know that you are with us you stand with us the end of the story has been written and we are yours and you are ours so God just like Daniel did we say thank you thank you for your power for your love and for your grace and now God we worship you together 